Hello, hello everybody, welcome back. So today we're going to talk about wave computing, more specifically, nonlinear wave computing. I titled this video, Nonlinear Wave Computing, Vibes, Gestalts, and Realms. And yeah, I mean, essentially, I, I think that wave computing is a uh, component of qualia computing. Essentially, the way in which our world simulation is constructed and fabricated by our nervous system, you know, managed and uh, edited, you know, elegantly updated and so on. Uh, but, you know, before I go on to the topic of the day, uh, the query of the day is um, this, uh, I suppose, like a bathroom, uh, unused bathroom mat. And uh, <laughs> what I really like about it, uh, it's, uh, it has a very cool vibe, a very friendly vibe. Um, to me, it kind of like evokes this kind of like toing, toing, because they're kind of like we are jiggly. They're kind of like jiggly and very soft. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I find it really fun and it's very pleasant to the touch. And as we will see, there's actually a really deep reason why these would have a friendly vibe. So let's get into it. Okay, so uh, break down the title of the video, you know, nonlinear wave computing, uh, you know, vibes, gestalts and realms. Okay, so the first component uh, okay, so like, what are nonlinear waves? And, you know, we we're kind of like sold this story in high school, in a sense that the what's called the superposition principle applies with waves in general, you know, you have kind of like, if you put like a, a rock in a lake, and another rock in the same lake a, a couple seconds after, and you see the waves kind of like propagate, you know, the waves, they will kind of like superimpose, but they continue traveling kind of like uninterrupted, in a sense, kind of like, they're not interacting with one another, right? Like they can superimpose and that's totally fine. Now, a lot of waves behave that way. Uh, you know, sound waves within reasonable, you know, energy, what's called the energy regime or the linear energy regime. Most water waves within a reasonable energy regime. Um, light as well. And uh, so many other like phenomena kind of like, you know, follow the superposition principle, but that is not, you know, a law of nature that all waves behave that way. And actually, you probably have encountered like nonlinear waves in the physical world around you. Like if you've ever been to the beach, there's like this very interesting like phenomenon sometimes where like you have like a confluence of a lot of waves and sometimes you will see kind of like two large waves kind of they collide with one another. They form this kind of huge column and then like it's kind of like time symmetric. They decollides and kind of like moves backwards and like, okay, yeah, that's not you know, that's not the principle of superposition going on there. And the conditions for that, you know, for that particular phenomenon involve, yeah, the waves have to be pretty tall. In other words, they have to be highly energized. Uh, essentially, how tall the wave is will be associated with total energy of the wave. And also, it has to be in shallow water. Um, and there's like some interesting interactions that happen there where, yeah, all of a sudden the, the waves become nonlinear. And uh, I mean, strictly speaking, you know, waves in water are approximately linear. They're never perfectly linear. And that is because they're not actually perfectly sinusoidal waves. And if you kind of like look at the water molecules, uh, they do have weird movement that it's approximated by sinusoidal waves, but they're not, they're not exactly that. There's something else um, similar to, yeah, for example, like, um, yeah, you, you may think that, uh, you know, like if you, if you take two, uh, uh, two poles and you put a cord in between and force this kind of like shape, you may say like, yeah, that's a parabola. No, it's not a parabola. It's like, it's a catenoid. You know, you see, there's a lot of things like this where like the actual mathematical structure is like slightly different than what it looks like. And those differences 
may not matter very lo a lot in kind of like the normal, you know, everyday life, room temperature type of existence, but you push it a little bit further and oh my gosh, you start to get like weird effects that like you, you wouldn't have expected if your intuition was correct. Um, but, uh, you know, technically speaking, there's like this whole category of like nonlinear phenomena in water, uh, in another medium as well called uh, solitons. And solitons essentially, um, they're very weird. I mean, like people had observed them in the past. They didn't know what was going on. Essentially, you can be in a lake and all of a sudden you see kind of this blob of water kind of like traveling in a straight line. What is that? It doesn't make any sense. It's like very unusual behavior for a wave, right? Um, and uh, they collide and, and if they collide, the, like weird things can happen almost kind of like as if like particles were colliding. Like it's like a very weird kind of like wave particle like hybrid. Um, I mean, ultimately everything in physics is, is kind of like that. Um, but yeah, no, okay, so like what's going on with solitons? I mean, like the, you know, the full technical description would be, you know, its own lecture, but approximately you have essentially two, a balance of two forces, which is dispersion, essentially how quickly different frequencies, you know, different uh, spacings for the wave travel in the medium. And water, it turns out, you know, that, you know, small waves actually travel faster than large waves. Um, so that's like dispersion. Uh, and then another thing is uh, the nonlinearity of it. And with the soliton, essentially, they just kind of cancel each other out perfectly and they form these like stable equilibrium that can travel as a unit. And it's very, very trippy, isn't it? It's kind of like the, the fast wave is trying to get advanced, but then like the nonlinearity is pushing it back and they kind of like are in a perfect balance and they just travel in, a, in kind of like a constant speed that way. Um, but you know, nonlinearities also happen in other places and uh, something that, yes, yeah, Stephen Lehar made me aware. And of course, this is a huge topic. It's essentially nonlinear optics. But essentially, if you put two lasers um, combined in a quartz or like many other like crystal material, uh, they will form an interference pattern where essentially you're kind of like over-energizing the, the, the precise interference pattern of the superposition of those two lasers. And something really weird happens, which is that all of a sudden that intersection point will work as a retro reflector, meaning that if you shine another laser to it, it will reflect not like a mirror, but like like a retro reflector, essentially these kind of uh, things that you put on your bicycles or like in, in cars that wherever you shine the light, it bounces back to you. That happens with like crystals and light. So again, like light is usually like linear in, in its behavior. But in some mediums, it can become very nonlinear. Actually, the, the, the reason why that happens is that um, electric fields can change the diffraction of materials. And so a laser, if it gets like strong enough, essentially it is inducing an electric field, which will be changing the diffraction, um, you know, the diffraction quotient or like, yeah, the diffraction constant of the material. And as a consequence, this one is going to bend the light. So you have like these weird effects called like self-focusing, for example, where, yeah, if you shine a laser at a certain energy regime, the laser just goes through no problem. You increase the energy and all of a sudden it out of focuses and, you know, it focuses in just a point and make, you know, it may explode it because it's just it's such a high temperature. Um, so yeah, all of that is, yeah, nonlinear optics and those are nonlinear waves. Um, now, a, a metaphor that Stephen Lehar used, uh, which I really, really love is, uh, uh, you can construct systems of essentially combinations of linear waves and non-linear waves in order to compute stuff and represent stuff and do interesting things with that. Of course, there's still relatively little research on how to use this for computation. But what I'm going to be arguing today in this video is that 
we do that in our consciousness all the time. That actually a lot of what we do is nonlinear wave computing. We just don't realize it. But hopefully as I actually build up the case, you will see, oh my gosh, this actually explains so much about my experience, experience of others, you know, the failure modes of our representations in world simulations. Um, so the metaphor that Steven Lehar uses is uh, how like rivers um, uh, carve the sand, kind of like it can carve kind of like sand waves as, you know, it, it carves a, a path. And then the, the, the sand waves modify the path of the river too. So in that sense, you have two waves interacting. And uh, what the analogy he would make here is that the sand patterns are in a sense the non-linearities and the river would be kind of the linear waves. So, okay, that's a, hopefully a good kind of a, good kind of a setup for what is a non-linear wave and, and why, 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 why it matters. Now let's get on to the second part of the title, which is vibes, gestalts, and realms. And essentially I'm going to be arguing that our world simulation is kind of like created out of those components. And you know, if we kind of like make a metaphor with a, a house or like how you might construct a building, vibes may kind of like correspond to the tools with which you construct the house. Then gestalts are kind of the materials, the raw materials, the, the cement and the, the bricks and so on. And then the realms would be the entire building that is kind of like hangs together as a coherent self-reinforcing structure. And uh, for that reason, I'm actually going to kind of like go one step at a time and explain how your world simulation is constructed out of nonlinear waves in this way. So um, uh, first of all, there are various kinds of waves. Okay, so um, various kinds of waves in your experience. Um, after like a lot of thinking and a lot of, you know, experimentation with my own mind and yeah, just like talking to other people, but yeah, primarily like experimenting with my mind, uh, I've come to the conclusion um, that there's actually kind of like three big categories of waves in the nervous system. So these, first of all, like energetic construction waves, and those are like most, I mean, like that might be like 90%, 95% of them. Like that's the thing that we are mostly acquainted with. And, and there's like a tremendous diversity of possible kind of like energetic construction waves. Um, the archetypal example for me would be DMT. Like DMT induces these super high energy, uh, you know, vibratory wave patterns in your, in your world simulation, which gives rise to a lot of crazy nonlinearities. And then, you know, it's kind of like the, the crazy symmetrical objects that you experience on DMT are kind of like the sand directing the waves of energy. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, they're kind of like carving each other out. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like most things, like when you listen to music, you're primarily kind of engaged with kind of like, yeah, energetic constructive waves uh, and so on. Like that's the most common. Uh, there's also, you know, a second kind, which is dark night of the soul waves. And, you know, this seems like very out there, but actually, you know, like adept meditators will say that like, well, you know, in Buddhism, they, they might say something like the 10,000 universes in a single second or something like that, which is that like, even though, you know, most of your experience is predominantly created out of like a particular kind of like raw, you know, material or raw tool, which would be like the, the energetic construction waves. There's always like a little bit of an element of the other things. It's just like that the dose is like sufficiently low that you don't really pay attention to it. You don't reify it. You don't realize it's there. Uh, and the dark night of the soul type waves are essentially deconstructing and the kind of closest phenomenology that most people might uh, associate with this is kind of like restlessness. Uh, in the extreme case, you have restless legs as well as uh, akathisia, 
uh, withdrawal from like like various kinds of drugs, uh, breakups, like a, a breakup will be full, like, you know, a romantic breakup, whatever it may be, uh, grieving will be full of these kind of waves. And what that, what they feel like is that it essentially, they, um, they deconstruct as opposed to like add up. So essentially when they, when they collide, they kind of create these like unpleasant vacuum where the waves kind of like get, get deconstructed. And I mean, a lot of like kind of a dark night experiences, like you're kind of like dislodging patterns ingrained in your experience. You're dislodging the nonlinearities that are carving, creating your experience. And you kind of like have to wait for them to naturally shake themselves apart. And uh, so that's a whole category. And then there's like the third one, which is like the hardest to describe, <laughs> but these are like equanimity waves and they're so weird. And okay, so 5-MeO-DMT would be a thing like the substance that gives you like really strong access to all three waves at once, all three kinds of waves, but especially, especially equanimity waves and secondarily dark night waves. I mean, a lot of the time a 5-MeO-DMT experience will be kind of like really unpleasant because it's deconstructing your model of the world, essentially the non-linearities that make it up. But the good part of a 5-MeO-DMT experience, which is this beautiful kind of transcendent outside, almost kind of like outside time of space, like pure consciousness, openness, that just receives and accepts and embraces and lets be absolutely whatever happens, those would be equanimity waves. And uh, I mean, phenomenologically, the way I might describe it is something like kind of like, a, you know, space time, you know, gravity wave is like when you have two black holes that are like circling each other and they're, you know, close to colliding and they're sending these, you know, space time waves. Why? Because you have this front of kind of like accelerated space time and then like these like stretching of like, you know, dilated space time and equanimity waves kind of have that quality. It's kind of like this wave that just kind of allows anything to happen and it increases the amount of consciousness that you're having but at the same time it's a it's kind of like a weird nothingness a strange void that kind of like can swallow anything no matter how unpleasant and uh, if you could generate arbitrary amounts of that you would be set i mean like for example the whole thrust of uh yeah the philosophy of shenzhen young and uh, uh some some other buddhists is like yeah if you can boost equanimity all the way you know you could experience absolutely horrific unpleasant emotional bodily you know cognitive dysphoria and it's fine because the equanimity will kind of absorb that stress equanimity is an incredibly powerful stress dissipation engine uh as it were although it's not an engine because it's not a thing in, in any traditional way it's kind of space-time wave <laughs> weird stuff but definitely real so <laughs> that's it's important to pay attention to it okay so those are kind of like the three kinds of waves. I will mostly be speaking of it the first one because the other two are like kind of like not that common. And also I still find them very mysterious in many ways, but I think I have a fairly good handle on like the first kind, which is yeah, energetic, constructive kind of waves. Um, so <laughs> essentially uh, it seems to me uh, and also, you know, rhythms in the brain. Uh, there, there's like several books that kind of argue these. Uh, also, I've got to say, not only Stephen Hart, but also like uh, 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 Stephen Grossberg kind of like has kind of this uh, generally generalized concept of uh, resonance. That is resonance, we tend to think only in terms of kind of like superposition of linear waves when you pluck a string in a guitar or like in a piano, 
uh, yeah, essentially the waves are like fairly linear and the harmonics don't interfere with one another. But that is not the case for, you know, every kind of medium. And, uh, you know, like if, if you read QRI content thinking like we're only talking about, you know, resonance in the linear way, you're actually going to like miss out on actually the, the, the more juicy stuff that we were proposing, which is actually, yeah, the nonlinearities are kind of really essential to understand it all. Um, so resonance is uh, uh, essentially like are oftentimes when you have some kind of uh, nonlinearity interacting with a linear wave in a stable fashion. I mean, similar to a soliton. Um, and uh, here is where you get the vibes. So what is a vibe? I mean, vibes are real. Vibes are real. I mean, like they're, they're like obviously a very important part of your experience. And as I said, you know, a very soft, you know, kind of cushion will have a certain vibe that is very different than if you have kind of like, you know, like punk kind of like spiky kind of decorations that are like, you know, scary and like high frequency with pinch points. That's a very different vibe. So um, uh, this section I, I, I titled essentially vibe fundamentals. So essentially there's like several things, uh, you know, from the symmetry theory of valence proposed by Mike Johnson and especially, you know, the concept of valence uh, structuralism that he proposed in Principia Qualia. Essentially you have these, um, uh, uh, yeah, this kind of like insight that like, the, the thing that makes your experience feel good or bad has to do with the structure of your experience. So to a first approximation, you know, what determines the vibe is the kind, the shape of the waves that are traveling in your nervous system and how they're traveling. So it's both their shape and how they're traveling. And uh, to a first approximation, the smoother the medium is, like the more symmetrical, the more smooth the geometry is, the higher the valence is going to be, the more pleasant it's going to be. Uh, this this quality of softness. And yeah, I mean, essentially uh, Klein, you know, mathematician famous for his uh, Klein bottles. You know, he also kind of like formalized the concept of geometry in terms of symmetries. And I'll put a link in the comments in the, in the description. But yeah, essentially, uh, yeah, you can kind of characterize a geometric space in terms of like what symmetrical transformations or what transformations there are that leave, you know, properties the same. And essentially when you're kind of like in a yoga retreat or, you know, loving kindness or, or uh, uh, you know, highly concentrated states and things like that. Uh, yeah, your phenomenal body is going, your phenomenal energy body is going to be very smooth. And so the waves are going to travel in an uninterrupted way. And as a consequence, they're not going to lose energy as they do so. Essentially, there's kind of some energy preservation effect in there. And they're not going to change their shape either. Uh, so, yeah, the first approximation, uh, how pleasant a vibe is, will have to do with just how smooth, symmetrical, and geometrically regular uh, is the medium within which it travels, and how regular the shapes of the waves are. Um, in contrast, the things that make a vibe unpleasant are essentially symmetry-breaking operations in it. And, you know, in kind of the most abstract way, here's a, a awesome, awesome diagram. So. Um, essentially, this is kind of like a hierarchy of symmetries. So like at the top, you have a square that has all of the possible symmetries of a quadrangular. Um, uh, but as you kind of like break symmetries, you know, this one, this one is interesting. It's kind of like you're breaking the rotational symmetry. Like, you know, maybe it only rotates in one direction. So like maybe the square, like, yeah, it's the same in this way, in this way, but this one only in one direction. So that's kind of a weird, almost kind of invisible way of breaking the symmetry. But, but it's definitely important mathematically. But there's like other ways, right? You can go like squish it and like, oh, okay, now that you have like a rhombus 
or like a rectangle. And like those have like different symmetry elements, different possible transformations that will leave it the same. And essentially with every symmetry breaking operation that you add to it, it becomes more and more irregular all the way until it's completely irregular. And so again, yeah, to a first approximation, um, the more irregular it is, the more unpleasant it's going to be. Um, the vibes essentially of these things. Uh, why? Because yeah, I mean, when you're representing this square, it is going to be this combination of kind of like the nonlinearities that are like creating the, you know, the borders and the limitations, uh, which are going to be sending waves of energy to the rest of your experience. And if this is a perfectly symmetrical thing, those waves of energy will actually be regular. So um, I know that's kind of crazy to contemplate, um, but um, yeah, I mean, to, to a first approximation, how much you know negative valence you're experiencing um, is going to be kind of like a weighted score of how many pinch points this uh, kind of like medium of wave propagation has, how many shears, essentially how many areas where kind of the uh, you have like some discontinuities or, or you have like some stress uh, in, in a you know symmet symmet symmetrically broken way that uh, essentially uh, kind of uh, defaces that structure. Uh, or blocks, I mean, outright blocks, like the regions through which like the waves don't travel. And very similarly, or like very relatively reflectors, like parts where like the wave travels and just reflects back. So like if you're having like a stomach upset or something like that, or like a knee pain or whatever, maybe introspect on that. Like you will realize like how unpleasant that sensation is, is approximated by, yeah, how many pinch points, how many blockages, you know, how many shears and how many reflectors of the waves of energy it contains um, and all of these yeah kind of like aggregates to essentially how much like stress and strain is being generated in, in your entire system um, importantly uh, like whenever you have kind of like a, a, a nonlinear structure that you're generating anything you're representing the vibe of that thing will essentially be um, the, the frequencies of the vibe will be related in an inverse way to the distances of it so consider like if you have a very long tube that you're representing in your mind that is going to be emitting essentially several kinds of vibes. First of all, you will have kind of like a harmonic resonance structure vertically, which is going to be a very low frequency. It's kind of like, kind of like a long tube. But then also like there's going to be waves across it, you know, like uh, in the thickness of it. And if, if it's kind of like a, a, you know, a thin sheet, like sure it's very long, but uh, if it's very thin, that is going to be a very high frequency component. So if you have a, a long sheet, essentially it's going to have like both a low frequency and a high frequency component. So essentially it's kind of like a Fourier transform of all of these, you know, nonlinear structures that you're representing. That is going to be kind of like the vibe generators in your experience. And so, um, yeah, we're kind of like starting to kind of like see some elements to like understand and decipher the vibe of this essentially. Oh, and this, by the way, is an insight by uh, Stephen Lehar uh, uh, that, yeah, essentially there's kind of this inverse relationship between the distance and, and the frequency uh, for kind of like generating, generating like waves. Uh, and now, of course, like I'm talking about it in terms of vibes because I care about valence and valence is intimately related to, to vibes. I don't think Stephen Lehar cared that much about valence or he was not paying attention to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Mike and I and others at QRI, that's what we study. We're very, very interested in that. Um, so now let's get into like, actually like kind of the um, uh, kind of like subtle details about vibes. So kind of like in a more advanced understanding here, uh, it's not only the frequencies that matter, you know, the Fourier decomposition, 
the other thing that matters too is the what's called the attack decay sustain and release of these waves so essentially you kind of like have this pattern and like basically how high it go, goes and how long this takes um, so this is the attack this is the decay this is the sustain and this is the release and you know like what makes the the sounds of different musical instruments different is not only you know the 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 distribution of energy across its harmonics it's also the attack decay sustain release of the notes and uh you know it's one of these puzzling things right because okay like this is happening over time presumably your ear only has access to like just one point of it at a time right but obviously we're integrating that information over time and generating a representation that simultaneously contains temporal you know information it's kind of like temporal coding so in that sense um yeah all of this is kind of like being compressed and i think like actually this is being translated into kind of like the shape of the waves propagating in your world simulation so it's kind of like what does this wave front look like right is this kind of like a sharp attack like there's like nothing here and then all of a sudden it gets really high energy or is it something kind of like softer where like oh like it, it kind of like has kind of like a warning it's kind of like oh it's getting ah and then it happens okay so that would be a kind of like a soft attack okay so to a first approximation more friendly vibes will have friendly attacks which is they will have kind of like a friendly ramp up of energy as opposed to kind of like a shockwave that you know just kind of like hits all of you at once so <clears throat> And very unfriendly energies will be just full of, you know, kind of like shockwaves that are like destructive as opposed to kind of like trying to, to harmonize or, or, or merge the energies as it were. Uh, and I mean, I recommend like watching the uh, presentation on the, the psychophysics toolkit at the QRI channel, the tracer tool, um, because, yeah, we're essentially trying to characterize the tracer effects of psychedelics in terms of things such as the attack, decay, sustain, release of the tracers. And uh, as I'll explain, I do actually think this is very different from one drug to another and from one mindset to another. So let's get into kind of like some concrete examples of vibes. So for example, in uh, Pical, um, the book by uh, uh, Alexander Shulgin, uh, oops. Uh, yeah, I mean, essentially he talks about like how LSD in his you know, in his own book, <laughs> in his own book, literally, uh, it's kind of like a pushy, it's like a very pushy type of drug relative to other psychedelics of that, like, general class. Um, and, uh, and it, yeah, it's kind of like, it, it, yeah, it kind of like overwhelms you and like cuts your thoughts and it has like kind of this kind of pushy quality. Now, I, th I think that's true in like substantial doses. In small doses, a lot of people actually talk about LSD as like fairly like soft and relaxing. So I think it's probably dose dependent, obviously also genetic, you know, differences will result in kind of like different, you know, vibes for, for each drug. But yeah, I mean, to a first approximation, uh, what I would say though, is that there are drugs that are like way worse in this domain. And I would say like pretty much any psychedelic amphetamine, for example, like DOB or DOC, DOI, those like drugs that like probably are like super cardiotoxic, <laughs> are super stimulating, like very steamy uh, and tensing. Um, and also they last a long time and they make you crash really bad. So I don't, I don't actually understand why anybody would take those drugs, but, uh, those are like harsh in their vibe. Essentially they are kind of like this, uh, like electric kind of like harsh, um, this high attack kind of like tensing type of vibe. Um, 
In contrast, MDMA, I mean, especially like pure MDMA, like not, you know, MDMA plus MDA or MDMA plus methamphetamine or anything. No, it's just pure, unadulterated MDMA generally has an incredibly beautiful, soft vibe. I mean, people say they didn't know love existed until they experienced MDMA or didn't know it existed to such an extent. So, uh, and, and I'll get back into it when, when we talk about gestalts and realms, but essentially, yeah, MDMA, that vibe kind of like constructs an entire world that is made of that. And so it's not only that like, yeah, it creates these beautiful waves with extremely extreme softness. Also, ultimately, it, it, it's kind of like they compound and they create a world made of love. Um, not pushy at all, not pushy at all, not pushy at all. Um, and also there's this weird effect, like Nistigamus, for example, on MDMA. I think I can do it. I'm not on MDMA, but uh, some people can do it. It's kind of like tense your eye and you, your eyes kind of vibrate. So like that happens, but like involuntarily. And like sometimes it's kind of like difficult to see clearly because you're kind of vibrating in that way. Uh, now on MDMA, like that's not a particularly unpleasant thing. And what Stephen Lehar actually says is that like that is not only happening in your eyes, like if you pay attention in MDMA, like all your nervous system kind of like does that. It's kind of like these like cascades where like it's kind of like vibrating like that, like dithering. And in high doses, it's actually constant. And uh, that dithering, it smooths out the contents of your representation. So it's kind of like a, you're superimposing an element of your internal uh, world simulation with itself, with a little kind of like deface, uh, with a soft attack decay sustained release envelope. And as a consequence, you're softifying, you're making everything soft. Everything becomes soft. Everything becomes soft. And uh, I think that explains a lot, the vibe of MDMA. Uh, ketamine, ketamine is, uh, and dissociatives are kind of like very strange and difficult to explain to a first approximation. I think that I, a lot of what is going on with uh, these, these substances is that um, essentially they slow down the speed of wave propagation in your nervous system across the board. But I think they, there's also like some exotic nonlinearities that arise as well. Essentially, they may kind of like modify the dispersion equation, for example. Like it's not only that they slow down all waves, but like they probably slow down some waves more than others. And similar to kind of like a soliton in water. Yeah, there are like solitons of experience on ketamine that are just not possible to experience otherwise. Because yeah, they're changing the wave propagation dynamics and some nonlinearities can compound into solitons. Uh, and I think that explains a lot. I mean, like people, yeah, there's kind of like this quality of space-time that can become like like gel, for example, like other states of matter, like space-time acquires like other phases. I think like that's, yeah, like you're creating this like soliton of space-time and it's uh, very, very different. Um, and of course, all of this is completely testable in the end. I mean, as I said, like the, the tracer tool is just getting into the tactic case sustained release envelope of, of, uh, of psychedelics. Uh, but I think we can also test, yeah, the change in the wave propagation dynamics on ketamine uh, with like appropriate neuroimaging and, and the right psychophysical task. So, you know, sure, this is a speculative and based on kind of like, you know, an intelligent exploration of like high quality truth reports and a lot of conversations. But ultimately, yeah, this is like, you know, scientifically testable. And I think it's going to advance our understanding. Um, uh, equanimity. Equanimity is like a very special vibe. I was saying that, you know, it's kind of like a, its own category. Roughly speaking, it de-energizes. So like it de-energizes whatever nonlinearity you may have. Uh, it doesn't feed it. Uh, and most, one of the crazy things though, is that 
we think that uh, this is a bug in our mind or maybe a feature for evolutionary reasons uh, having to do with the selfish gene. But essentially, yeah, we think that thinking about something might solve it, but actually thinking about something usually energizes those representations. <laughs> so when you obsessively think about something, you're creating these very, very, very robust and resilient and fragile kind of a representation. Uh, and equanimity will de-energize it, kind of like slowly defabricate it. Um, and yeah, like MDMA is similar to loving kindness as well, although I think I would say loving kindness does it without the dithering component. Loving kindness is kind of like just, you know, the attack, the case sustained release of the waves that you're kind of like kindling on meditation. They have, yeah, just very soft properties. So they build onto each other and they form non-linearities and those non-linearities are very soft and beautiful themselves. And you can use them to generate vibe. And in a sense, it's a bootstrapping process, right? Like you start with like, a tiny spark you know i've heard like some meditators say like you know i could i could i could transform my entire experience into a world of meta by just focusing on a tiny pleasant sensation on my thumb it's kind of like, yes you kind of focus on that it's just like slowly grow it and grow it and grow it and over hours of patient work it grows and grows and eventually yeah it's just all of your experience um finally yeah uh in terms of, kind of like concrete examples uh, dopaminergic drugs, uh, my understanding is they kind of like uh, align the, the direction along which waves, uh, waves propagate so they can make you very task focused as it were. Uh, serotonergics, they tend to, yeah, to a first approximation modify the attack to case sustained release. Uh, and adrenergics, essentially things that like increase, you know, adrenaline and like make you like stressed and, and anxious. Uh, you know, they can energize you and like energizing in and of itself can be uh, a positive like positive for your valence uh, for a lot of reasons including annealing effects but um also you know the first approximation i think like that the kind of vibe that adrenergics generate is intrinsically slightly dissonant i mean it's kind of like introducing a source of energy that is like slightly harsh and like, again, that can be a net positive in some situations. It's usually not a net positive on like a sufficiently high dose. I mean, like if you like one cup of coffee, I bet you're not going to like eight cups of coffee all at once. <laughs> like there's obviously a limit. And like at that point, it's just like, okay, yeah, this is actually just very harsh and unpleasant. And essentially, yeah, when you have like harsh and unpleasant sources of vibes in your nervous system, that kind of like will corrupt the rest of the vibe in your experience. So, I mean, like, I don't think like, doing like really high-end like loving kindness meditation is really easy if you're like really wired on like on coffee you know <laughs> or ephedrine or whatever like any of those kind of uh, uh things in that category <clears throat> okay and finally as an example 5-meo dmt um i would think there's kind of like ace in the hole you know the ultimate deconstructor you know because it's like sending these waves of equanimity the vibe is one where like it just doesn't energize any of your pre-existing representations so like what is there to do well you embrace those waves of energy you become them which is kind of like becoming pure consciousness in a way and then also uh simultaneously you um it kind of like deconstructs and like de-energizes everything else uh okay so there's that uh now kind of like applied um i don't think you know this is also to a first approximation but i think like there was like this fascinating study of like the principal component analysis of like a large data set of smells and like what their properties are and what people associate them with. Um, that yeah, kind of like showed that 
there are like some major axes. Uh, and what is two like very important axes is like how feminine the perfume smells and how masculine it smells. And what they found is like that to a first approximation, like that's very well predicted by essentially a, you know, masculinity is kind of uh, like how energizing it is, which would be kind of like correspond with the arousal axis in the core affect space. Whereas femininity or like, you know, feminine smells would correspond to with how like immediately pleasant and sweet the smell is. Um, I mean, and of course you can have both. You can have like very highly energizing and sweet, but you see, uh, vibes can have like this property you can have a vibe that is just about like energy adding energy and another vibe that is just about kind of like adding joy and kind of like building a beautiful yeah very pleasant like environment to live in but not necessarily kind of like go out and do a, a bunch of things okay so that that would be kind of like an interesting uh interesting descriptor i mean i'm not saying this is you know universal like and, and the case for everybody or anything of the sort but there's probably something to that uh i do like this thought from um uh, Martinus, which is a, a mystic from Denmark, uh, uh, a friend of mine introduced him to to, to, to me, and uh, he essentially believes that like masculinity and femininity have to do with some kind of like uh, polarity in your energy body, and uh, that essentially over time as we progress spiritually, okay, in that you know the tradition where people believe that we reincarnate and life is a trial where we improve our spirit and so on and so forth, yeah, what, what they're saying is that essentially over time we will become more and more bipolar essentially we'll have both kind of the feminine and the masculine uh component uh, i don't know i mean it's it, it'd be fun to think about it uh david pierce also says something like yeah i mean in the long run i mean when we're talking about like full spectrum super intelligences like essentially gender will go the same way as uh you know the horns and tail like yeah just kind of like a <laughs> an appendage that yeah doesn't yeah i mean it's kind of like limiting if anything um but yeah, anyway, I just wanted to kind of like mention that. Uh, I'll also mention like all of this is quite related, although Mike didn't talk about nonlinearities in his piece, but essentially there's this piece he wrote uh, called uh, A Future for Neuroscience. And yeah, essentially he talks about like these two kind of like possible quotients for a person's nervous system. One of them is the metronome quotient, which is kind of like how they organize the resonances in order to project them into the world. <laughs> and essentially, yeah, people who are like, very good at a metronome, you know, uh, quotient are going to be, yeah, basically good at kind of like being a newscaster or like being an actor or kind of like essentially, yeah, or a musician kind of like projecting their own vibe. And if their own vibe is really pleasant and kind of like mind music for others, uh, that might be really popular. And then you have uh, an entrainment quotient, which is kind of like, what is your sensitivity to other person's vibes? How easily you couple into them? And, um, yeah, there's probably also a little bit of kind of like a gender like effect here where like uh, very masculine vibes tend to be like more kind of in the metronome quotient and very feminine vibes tend to be very much in the entrainment quotient. But again, I suspect this is a like relatively small effect size, but yeah, it's worth pointing out. It's kind of like an interesting pattern to observe here. Uh, and uh, yeah, okay, so there's that. Now, let's get in onto uh, gestalts. And uh, to do that, uh, essentially, yeah, let's revisit briefly, you know, something that I talked about in another video. I also have an article called Buddhist Annealing, which is like, yeah, how like the seven factors of awakening kind of like are playing with the energy flux in your experience. And it's kind of like you're using those factors in order to kind of like weld, you know, weld those energies, uh, usually in the direction of harmonization and defabrication, which is, yeah, kind of like the spiritual path. Um, and... Uh, 
I, I would say that, yeah, I mean, essentially something like an adrenergic drug can have this unpleasant side effect, which is that because it generates this like harsh vibe, essentially you start to create kind of like a lot of internal nonlinear constructs based on that harsh vibe. And, uh, you know, in the extreme case, uh, you know, that can, yeah, like motivate, uh, for example, like power posing. So like what, what is power posing and why do I think it's actually not very helpful? So there was a lot of, res a lot of, you know, probably not replicated research on, you know, people who were like, um, if you kind of like make a power pose before an interview or something, you'll be like more assertive or something like that. And you may get the job or you may get the race, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think that's actually not a good idea because when you're doing that, you're essentially energizing kind of this like tense pattern inside you that is an ego construct, but it's not actually backed up by the value that you can provide, right? It's like, it's an act. And because it's an act, it kind of has this like, shadow to it which is uh there's nothing to back it up and uh, i think like in the extremes where you talk about like narcissism for example a person is just like essentially they created this shell created of these like yeah non-linear structures egoic structures uh all of them are like power posing and they're they're just so focused on that uh anybody pokes at them it feels like the world is collapsing literally because they actually yeah this like you know second skin kind of like shell uh, of ego projection is uh, is like being you know getting you're getting through to them with maybe like truth or something like that, and that can be really unpleasant. Like the breakdown of that second shell can be really unpleasant. So, uh, yeah, like kind of like if you're in that mindset, you may kind of like lash out or you may yeah become aggressive or threatening if uh, if somebody pokes at it, and that's uh, I think like very very counterproductive. Um, and yeah, for sure, like, you know, social, I don't think social media is helping me here. I mean, essentially, social media is getting people to create a second skin, right? Because like with everything that you put in there, especially if it's not something that you're like actually legitimately, you know, proud of, uh, you're putting a bunch of work in, is like helpful and valuable. Essentially, you're getting social validation for all sorts of like random, like random things. And for sure, your brain is going to pay attention to it. It's going to create kind of this slight non-linear, non-linearity that is going to kind of like stick with you. And all of a sudden you, you're, you're made of kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like full of stickers. That person who's like full of stickers and their personality, they're struggling to maintain their personality. It's not, I don't think it's very healthy necessarily. Uh, I'm not against, you know, social media and abstract actually. I think it's, uh, uh, besides, you know, it's addictiveness and ego effects. Uh, uh, it, I've met so many fascinatingly brilliant and interesting people through social media. So like, I, I actually don't. Condemning in general, especially for intellectual work, ironically, <laughs> it's actually really, really positive. And I think so many cool communities wouldn't exist without it. But anyway, uh, let's get into gestalts. So gestalts are essentially what vibes are constructing. So when you're kind of like, yeah, using these kind of like energized like waves and you're generating nonlinearities, when you construct a scene, that would be a gestalt. And essentially, yeah, I mean, people like, you know, uh, Grosberg and Stephen Dehar and a lot of like, you know, visual... Uh, visual perception research focuses on gestalt, uh, essentially kind of like where all of the elements of the scene pop into becoming more than the sum of the parts. So what is that? Well, that is a resonance phenomenon. It always is a resonance phenomenon, but it's a nonlinear resonance phenomenon. Essentially, you're having kind of the elements of the scene are emitting their own vibe. And when you get a gestalt, what you're doing is that all of those vibes are getting interlocked. They're, they're phase-locked and they click into place. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a gestalt. And essentially the, the gestalts, I mean, like we think of it as kind of like a snapshot of experience, but they're actually, I think, like a little bit more interesting than that. I would say that 
gestalts are kind of like propositional. They're like scenes or sentences or situations. And that's what, how we reason. I mean, I think our brain like reasons through, you know, sentences, for example, like not only there's like something, that something is also doing something. And that is the thing that you're capturing. That is like the full gestalt and its vibe. Uh, and yeah, like a story is like stringing of, you know, action-based gestalts together to form, a, you know, a continuous, you know, you know, I guess like movie or set of actions. Um, and all of those gestalts are actually like, you know, in resonance. And, you know, ultimately when you create the movie or something like that, they form kind of like a macro structure that itself is in kind of like a resonance configuration. Um, yeah, so I guess like that's a, th those are gestalts. So um, I'll, I'll say uh, for a lot of gestalts, I mean, especially like if you're kind of like studying a technical field or philosophy or whatever it may be, uh, I would say like they are kind of like a search process and like they're actually a very interesting search process. And the search process is using wave computing. You know, it's not a standard, I mean, it, of course you could emulate it with a Turing machine, but yeah, the runtime complexity will be off. And actually you're completely missing the point. Like if you think that, uh, you know, a digital computer will do this. I mean, yes, of course you could simulate it with a digital computer, but you're missing out on being able to use the medium, the physical medium to kind of do a lot of the work for you. Like in a previous video recently, I talked about how intelligence is all about figuring out a self-organizing principle that will solve the problem for you. You know, this is what we're talking about. It's like recruiting the appropriate wave propagation mediums that will, in a sense, uh, when interacting with one another, generate a gestalt that is creating a representation that allows you to solve a problem for you. Uh, and uh, also, I mean, importantly, from a physical point of view, every gestalt is going to be a local energy minima. Um, and that's just like by design. I mean, essentially, oscillatory synchrony is energetically cheap. Exactly the same principle for like why soap bubbles become spherical, because when they're not spherical, you know, they're going to be wobbling and they will be radiating energy uh, around them. So like they will fall into their local energy minima. Gestalts are local energy minima because they're resonant configurations. But again, they're nonlinear, nonlinear resonant configurations. And, uh, you know, to find or understand a gestalt. And I think a lot of like, yeah, our reasoning, our thinking, even like how we make sense of, you know, high level structures of, of the worlds, like, you know, countries or like, um, you know, processes like, yeah, even like very abstract processes like annealing and things like that. Actually, uh, these are like fairly subtle gestalts that you need to kind of like fine tune so they serve the purpose that you want. And uh, the process of doing that is kind of like uh, essentially looking at an auto stereogram where you have like a like a magic eye, like a magic eye essentially. So, um, you know, a magic eye, uh, I have it here. So uh, these kind of like shapes I don't know you will be able to do it through the, but you can just Google, you can just Google magic eye essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, essentially if the whole texture is the same, I, I, I talked about like how like there is one level of DMT experience that is full of magic eye phenomenology. Yes, actually, because like, again, like you're in a highly energized state of consciousness and the local minimia will be the gestalts made of magic eyes. Uh, uh, like uh, depth maps, essentially. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but he's so, sort of like this. I think actually this is a metaphor that Daniel Ingram used to refer to meditation states, like uh, Janus and, and things like that, that like, yeah, it's kind of like for a while, you're kind of like, you're doing a lot of work and you, you they, the things don't match, they don't match, they don't match. Maybe you get a bit of a glimpse at once and then like some features kind of like assemble and like, 
but but it takes a while and then all of a sudden wow like the whole thing assembles like essentially it's a bootstrapping process because once you get kind of like more than 50 percent say i don't know the precise percentage but it would be something like that there's the threshold like percentage of it being figured out it makes the rest very easy to figure out i mean it's kind of like you know climbing uphill and then you know uh sliding downhill so a, a lot of the process of kind of like gestalt generation will kind of like look like this like if this is the uh sorry this is the time axis and this is the how much you get it <laughs> like do you get it do you get it like uh, you still you don't you get it it's gonna be something like this it's gonna be like yeah at first you don't get it at all right and then you kind of like oh wow there's a little bit, little bit of a hint wow a little bit more of a hint. wow a larger hint and then wow now i get it oh it goes out like oh i get it again Oh, it goes out. Oh, I get it again. And then it stabilizes. It's going to look kind of like that. Like the process of constructing a gestalt. Essentially, yeah, you're kind of like trying to find this like low energy attractor that satisfies all these constraints with vibe computing, non-inner wave computing. Uh, okay, so that's a, those are gestalts. Now, again, those are kind of like the bricks, you know, the, the, the raw materials. Again, you're constructing them with sets of vibes. But then the gestalts are things that once you get them, once you stabilize them and construct them, you can use to build something else. Now, importantly, the vibe that you use to construct a gestalt is going to leave an imprint in the valence of that gestalt. So essentially, yeah, if you're imagining of a cartoon villain or like a monster or something like that, the gestalt that you're imagining is going to have like harsh properties. I mean, like again, like it's very spiky kind of like uh, configurations. Those are going to be emitting very harsh and pleasant uh, vibes and so like essentially every gestalt will have its own uh, what we call that QRI its own consonance dissonance and noise signature and uh, that's a uh, that's a uh, kind of incredible and I think uh, uh, what I'm gonna say next is uh, realms essentially the realms of experience where my, my claim is that essentially they are collections of gestalts that are self-reinforcing and essentially there's various attractors and of course like Eventually, you know, scientifically, we will figure out precisely what those attractors are. Um, but in the meantime, we can uh, actually talk about them, you know, in light of kind of like Buddhist, um, uh, the Buddhist realms. And there's like 10 Buddhist realms. I mean, there's six for most. Most people think of them as six, but there's kind of like expanded lists. And I also like the, the 10, 10, 10 version. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, in order to construct a gestalt, uh, uh, sorry, a, a realm, that's another graph I'll, I'll have to make. It's uh, essentially there, there are two forces at, at play. One is, uh, I mean, essentially, like the, the y axis here is going to be kind of like your pre existing like, level of like fabrication, like how fabricated your experience is. And that is going to be how many nonlinearities you have stored, essentially. How many gestalts do you contain in you? I mean, and you're, you're going to be saving every gestalt that you generate gets saved into your subconscious, uh, you know, storehouse consciousness, as they call it in, in, in Buddhism. Yeah, there, there's a ton. And like if you generate a, a particular gestalt, it will have a vibe and a mood. And you may forget about it, but, you know, someday like, OK, randomly you're dreaming and like, wow, that mood I had never experienced since I was four years old <laughs> when I saw that clown. Like that sort of thing happens. Or I went to, I don't know, that museum. Uh, yeah, just got a fun memory. Yeah, like that, uh, you know, they will have the unique kind of consonance, dissonance, noise signatures. 
So uh, essentially, uh, a particular realm, it's an antifragile structure made of a lot of gestalts interacting with one another. Uh, so the x-axis here is like the rate of like fabrication, and here's the rate of defabrication. So most realms essentially kind of like exist here, like uh, essentially when the world is already pretty fabricated. Like when you're like here, like when there's like just nothing being fabricated, uh, that would be kind of like Nirota Samapati, essentially these like peak awakening states um, where just like absolutely nothing or pure consciousness. Uh, yeah, but most real, most people are going to be in like some kind of like antifragile realm or another. Uh, so essentially when you're like here, the, the, you're like moving very fast upwards. So like when you have like a very high rate of like fabrication, whereas when you're here, you're going to be moving slowly. And when you're like defabricating, where like the net homeostasis of like how much you're fabricating versus how much you're defabricating is here, you will be going very slowly. And essentially, uh, you will go really, very, very fast, kind of like defabricating. So if you take 5-MeO-DMT, especially like, let's say like a small therapeutic dose to deal with that trauma or something like that, the trauma will come up and then it will be kind of like shaking itself apart and defabricating. So that might be here, like, okay, you're like really traumatized. So there's like a lot of fab self-reinforcing fabrications. Fabio DMT, like that's going to start to defabricate really quickly. But it may not go all the way down, right? Like, like after the session, like maybe you will be here. You might need like several more sessions to kind of like slowly get you below the threshold where the realm becomes, it stops to being antifragile and you can finally exit that realm. The thing is like, if you don't go there, the realm may start to like refabricate itself <laughs> because it's antifragile. Uh, and like, that's the whole phenomenon of a re-traumatization, like, like, you know, talk therapy can actually like make something worse or psychedelic therapy. You can actually refabricate a trauma that you already dealt with. If it has like the seeds of it, uh, and you, you, you're not skilled enough or you're, like, you're too stressed. If you're too stressed, that also can happen. It doesn't need to be a moral thing. If you have too much adren adrenergic or like some medical problem that will energize those representations and you can, again, there's a lot of kind of like moralistic thinking, I think, when it comes to uh, like how these things work. Uh, but but no, I think like there's a lot of like just like, yeah, very basic physical, physiological things that we can ideally, yeah, be able to hack uh, at some point. Uh, but okay, so like what are the realms? What are kind of like these like antifragile attractors? So uh, essentially uh, we can start with a hungry ghost and the hungry ghost is kind of, yeah, this feeling of like frustration and that you never feel satiated. Uh, Michael Taft in a meditation about this uh, was saying like, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean when like they're all of these, uh, you know, ghost uh, pirates, they're like eating a feast, but they're all made of bones and the food just kind of goes through them. Yeah, it's like you, you have intense cravings, but you, they don't satisfy. So cravings essentially is a certain kind of gestalt that has these like pulling and tightness quality. And Rob Rubia essentially says that, yeah, if you introspect the meditation on your energy body and a craving comes up, you will realize that the intensity of the craving is directly proportional to the to the tension and the contraction in your energy body. So yeah, there's a duality there, um, and that that generates a, a, a gestalt. Um, and then so that's kind of like how you represent the 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 world, the things that happen to you. Another thing about realms, uh, I think, is what I would call the the core of a realm, which is essentially how you conceptualize your sense of self, how you interpret reality, what kind of lens you have when you're in that realm. And yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're a hungry ghost, essentially, it's kind of like within your sense of self, which we can visualize as kind of a sphere, as it were, uh, is depressed, is depressurized. So there's kind of like this feeling of like, it needs something external to fill it up. 
and is always kind of like half full and that's uh yeah pretty pretty unpleasant um you will also notice like in, in meditation that like there's essentially this correspondence between um kind of like the core or kind of like sense of self and your sense of like the external environment and there's this what they call core rising and i think that's very much true i mean it, and it has to do with these non-linear wave dynamics actually because for you to actually energize an inter external representation you need kind of like a, a an internal source that will be emitting the vibes that will generate that so you think of the the cores as kind of the vibe emitters the primary vibe emitter and if you're like really upset your primary vibe emitter is going to be like this harsh harsh wave which yeah essentially takes us to uh, the hell realm so essentially in the hell realm is a anti-fragile attractor of dissonant uh, gestalts essentially gestalts that like energize each other and they're all unpleasant and that's like one of the very sad things about the failure modes of our nervous system is that there is no end to hell i mean you can make hells even more well i'm sure there's a you know i'm sure there's a worst po possible hell given a particular nervous system but it's unfathomably worse than what you can imagine so you know whenever there's like a tricky situation you have to think not only like how do i solve it but also how do i make prevent it from getting worse because it can be 10 times or a hundred times or a thousand times worse and we usually don't are we're not very cognizant of of that fact so that's a hell realm and uh yeah i mean the kind of like core is kind of like this like self-repeating loop of uh it's my fault or it's uh is the world's fault or the, the world is horrible and the thing is like yeah if if you approach every situation with that vibe emitter you're going to slowly be kindling and turning into a hell world as well so that's that's also yeah one of the reasons it's so difficult to get out of it and like in many cases to get out of hell you might need kind of like a a small period of you know no pain and no disturbance so you can kind of like be be stable that way um and bootstrap i mean as i said like a meditator might say like yeah everything felt bad in my body but as long as i had a spark of loving kindness in a tiny part of my body you can just focus on that don't focus on the frustration don't focus on the things that are you know tense focus on the parts that are relaxed of your experience and then try to build those that is apparently really effective uh, i mean i find it effective but uh if you do it a lot in retreat then you can enter like these beautiful hyper relaxed states of consciousness uh what else well we have the titans uh also the world of asuras the jealous gods uh essentially they feel everything as an attack uh yeah it's unpleasant but essentially um uh is attack heavy uh kind of very kinetic <laughs> and the the vibes of it are these very sharp attacks essentially like things like like actually hit like internal representations have black like you're blasting them as opposed to like softly gently interacting with them um and uh yeah i mean they kind of like erase information and uh yeah unfortunately i would say kind of like war aesthetics and things like that and the kind of like times that we live in yeah they're like full of that realm uh which is really unfortunate and it's anti-fragile and we've got to figure out how to disable it essentially and i think like yeah with something like understanding how to disable it with non-linear wave dynamics is probably pretty helpful i think i'm very optimistic that's uh, there might be a way now the core the internal representation who you are when you are in titan the titan world what what's inside you it's actually a kind of like weapon depot it's kind of like these all of these like non-linear gestalts that you have assembled that are like strong and powerful and can destroy things you can point it at things and will emit a harsh vibe in that direction 
And there's like some degree of controllability of it. Like the hell in the hell realm is uncontrollable. And it's just, you know, they work on their own. In the Titan realm, there's some degree of controllability, except that of course, like the, you know, the controllability itself is like driven by emotions that are hard to control. So, okay, like how voluntary it is, is kind of up to debate. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, the Titan realm in this paradigm. Then you have the animal, animal realm. Uh, you kind of like ignorance. You just kind of want to, veg out and forget about everything just kind of being a cozy place and you know simple pleasures um immediate gratifications so that realm is i would describe it as like very sticky so the vibe is actually kind of has like this like sticky almost kind of like slimy quality like you want to kind of like find like a cozy part of your experience and just kind of veg out in it and uh and it is not very energized and it's not very intelligent it does it's kind of sleepy it's a uh, dumb it's a uh, uh, soporiferous, uh, it, it lacks the activation energy to, to get out of it. And uh, obviously, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, things can put us in, in that attractor, um, kind of like, yeah, uh, attached with a small pressure. Um, and essentially, what is, what is uh, uh, inside you? What is the core when you're in the animal realm? It's essentially a collection of like petty likes and dislikes. It's like, oh, I like this warmth. I don't like this cold. I like this. I don't like that. And it, it doesn't go like much more, it's not more interesting than that is the sort of thing that, yeah, for, for sure, like a fish probably experiences in their, in their core. Well, depends on the fish and the circumstance. Uh, pro probably a bad, bad metaphor, but uh, um, yeah, so that would be kind of the animal realm. Um, then the human realm essentially is like a, a, a realm where the internal representations are, generally speaking, like fairly elegant, but not very hedonic. So essentially very complex representations with a lot, like the information tracking is very, very accurate and is very detailed and a lot of capability for complexity. So it's kind of like using gestalts and then stacking them together in order to form computing apparatus or these gold Ruberg machines and uh, doing math, for example, mathemat like mathematicians, I would say, yeah, they, they kind of like need to be in the human realm a lot of the time. I mean, they might be in the Titan realm some of the time <laughs> for sure, uh, but, but uh, for a lot of the time, they might be kind of in the human realm because they're generating these like fairly somewhat anhedonic constructions uh, that like can stack together and form these you know high level constructs and when you have that essentially yeah the very elegant you know the blissful experiences are going to be when you can reduce a lot of that complexity or all of a sudden you have like emergent you know highly consonant configurations um, and yeah I mean internally it's going to be something that it's you know attitude it's an orientation is towards you know calculating. Uh, and it values complexity. Okay, just to run uh, uh, quickly through the, the, the last ones, the God realm, essentially, yeah, everything is soft and consonant and synergistically so. I mean, that's the thing I was mentioning that like, if you boost pleasure enough, the pleasures start to interact with one another. I mean, it's like, just as in the hell realm, the gestalts like themselves interact and they form these, you know, amalgamations that are like worse and worse and worse. In the heaven world, in the God realm, the soft, beautiful, pleasant, you know, colorful representations, they stack together and they form these paradises where, yeah, there's like this spaciousness and freedom and, and sense of ease that comes with it. And yes, all of that is going to be constructed out of like very beautiful vibes at the very beginning and like stacking gestalts that are made of very beautiful vibes. Um, uh, yeah, so what is inside you when you're in the God realm? Well, there's a cornucopia of sensory delights it's kind of you have a attitude that facilitates and enhances pleasure and yeah that that also can be anti-fragile to an extent to an extent um the last four are kind of like 
uh, I mean, they're fairly Buddhist in, in, in their interpretation, but essentially they're like voice hearers, essentially people who uh, figure out how to kind of like defabricate the world, uh, like, you know, use dark night of the soul or equanimity uh, practices in order to defabricate the nonlinearities, the gestalts, and ultimately get exit out of the realms. And yeah, essentially this is kind of a, the voice hearers are those who essentially listen to the teachings of people who know this stuff. So that would be kind of like, coupling with like you're half kind of like in this world in one realm but you have like another foot in like hearing somebody who has like fully defabricated the world and you are kind of like coupled to that person and that allows you to essentially slowly defabricate the, your realm um then you also have the cause awakened ones which is essentially people who bootstrapped a bo defabrication so like they figured out on their own our hats and people like that uh and uh yeah i mean essentially here they will have kind of like a, a core of an a defabrication algorithm. It could be Vipassana, it could be like, you know, certain kind of a, uh, Shamatha breathing exercises uh, or an attitude, a way of seeing the world. And they bootstrap out of it. Like if, if you, they focus enough on it, all of a sudden, yeah, they can kind of use that as the self-organizing principle and defabricate their world. Uh, now, bodhisattvas, I would say, they're kind of like sub-molecules. Yeah, like one foot in one world, one foot in the other, but they're at a homeostatic level where essentially they have stabilized like half kind of like fully defabricated and half fabricated so they can interface with the other worlds essentially these are you know beings as it were uh, i mean people in a secular interpretation they essentially live in a kind of a homeostatic vibe control environment that yeah i mean the part of their realm can get out of control for a little bit but but when that happens they kind of like boost the defabrication component and vice versa um, so they can remain engaged. They can remain like empathetic and understanding and, uh, you know, actually engaging and interacting with the vibes of the world without even getting caught up in them. And finally, yeah, the Buddhas, the Buddhas, uh, they are essentially, yeah, people, well, I mean, like fourth path. Uh, we've talked about these, these uh, kind of individuals. But yeah, I mean, essentially they live in a world that is like fully defabricated. They have like access to kind of like pure consciousness. Um, fully completely relaxed completely you know let go completely dropping the ball from any tightness from any of these non-linearities and uh, that would be yeah kind of like total vibe control in a way and ability to not be swayed by any gestalt whatsoever now all of these obviously you know those you know the realms come from kind of yeah a religious mystical interpretation but my claim is that all of that will actually make sense with non-linear wave dynamics, non-linear wave computing. Uh, and also like understanding it that way will allow us to, yeah, essentially generate technology to facilitate this process and yeah, allow us to not get so caught up in insane realms uh, that oftentimes, yeah, it's nobody, like nobody is like making them on purpose. They're kind of this emergent effect, um, especially things like the, the hell and the Titan realm are really sticky because uh, essentially your attempts to get out of them uh fortify them and like that's that's really terrible um and that's one of the things the reasons i think why like for example 5meo dmt is so promising that is if you're really caught up in one of those realms a 5meo dmt will show you like wow like every move that i have belongs to the matrix of things that reinforces the realm so actually i did not have like an exit i needed this wave of equanimity to temporarily defabricate it and give me some sense of spaciousness so I can then kind of like bootstrap from there. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that that is going to be very, very, very good in the future. 
This also may kind of explain the mood effects that, uh, for example, different mental uh, or, or physiological problems may have, like heart disease or, or, or stomach upset or lung cancer or, you know, bone disease and so on. They will be emitting their particular kinds of harsh vibes. And that over time can aggregate. I mean, that's why like chronic pain is like worse than acute pain, because it's going to be generating these like nonlinearities. And the nonlinearities will have a harsh vibe. You will create gestalts, and eventually you will generate a realm that is your realm of being a sufferer of chronic pain. And that's so bad, so sad and terrible, isn't it? So um yeah, I mean essentially I think we can uh, we can figure all of this out. I'm very optimistic that the nervous system can be fixed. <laughs> we can kind of exit this paradigm. I know it's possible because there are people who don't suffer from all these, uh, you know, like bugs that our nervous system have. Um, and not only like, you know, highly advanced meditators, like also like people who genetically kind of like are in a really good mood all the time. I think they probably just don't have kind of like harsh vibe generators inside them. And I'm very, very hopeful actually that like we could, yeah, essentially build a society and, and move in that direction. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of uh, sanity. But uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can cultivate it. And with that, thank you so much for listening and uh, being here. And uh, uh, as I recently uh, uh, wrote in a tweet uh, <laughs> uh, against social media, you know, leave, laugh, love, and maximize valence for all sentient beings. And with that, well, take care, everybody. See you next time. Ciao.